As I mentioned last week, I thought with the Thanksgiving season that it might be nice to, as we think of the many temporal blessings that we receive, and surely I hope that we are thankful for those, but we want to look at these blessings that God has heaped upon us in his Son, Jesus Christ. And I can think of no better passage than what we have in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, and here is... The Apostle Paul, as he's writing from prison, writing to believers in Ephesus and probably others in that particular area, it was probably a circular letter that went from church to church, and one of the first things that he does is he breaks forth in this great doxology and says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. As a result of this union that we have with Christ, there is given to us every, Paul says, every spiritual blessing. And this comes as a result of union with him. And these blessings are of a spiritual and a heavenly nature. They come down to us from God. They come to us through Jesus Christ and this vital union that we have with him. This vital union is spoken of by Jesus himself. He presents himself as the vine, and we are branches if we are in Christ, and we are united to him, and flowing from him is life, and all of these blessings that we know and experience in connection with him. And what a wonderful truth to be in Christ. These blessings are in Christ. And as believers, if we're a believer and a follower of Christ, we are in him. We are united with him. So Paul, when he writes to the various churches, often will say this. In Philippians, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Same thing in Colossians. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. And he could say the same of us. If he were writing us a letter, and and, and in a sense he has, to all those who are at Bible Chapel who are in Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that we are united to him. We are in Jesus Christ. And there is this bond, that this vital union that we have with him. And so we find things in the scriptures such as this, that we have... In a sense, we we are piggybacked on Jesus, and we're united to him. So Paul says that we have been crucified with him. We have died with him. We have been buried with him. We have been raised up to walk in newness of life in him. And amazingly, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, that we are seated together with him in the heavenly places. That's an amazing statement. Colossians 3.3, that our life is hidden with Christ in God. An amazing statement that is as well. That our life is hidden with Christ in God. And then when Christ comes, when his glory will be manifested, we will be manifested with him in glory. What a glorious, wonderful union this is. God has brought about by his grace. And it's only those who are united to Christ that know 
these blessings that we find in the scriptures. It's only by union with him. These blessings are found nowhere else. They're only found by faith in Jesus Christ and being united to him. So John could write and say this in 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. That's where it is. It's in his son and in union with him. He who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son of God does not have life. It's only in Christ. And all of these blessings are found in him. Every spiritual blessing. If you have Christ, you have all the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. And so what we find in chapter 1 is Paul will go down here and he will over and over again, I think a half a dozen times, talk about this union that we have with Christ being in him or connected to him in the beloved one. And then the blessings that come to us because of this union. So it is out of the fullness of who Christ is that we receive grace upon grace or blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Now, as we come today to, again, Ephesians chapter 1, I would like us to consider what some of these blessings are. All right, this union that God has brought about by his grace What are some of the blessings that we enjoy in Jesus Christ? Now, there are, throughout the New Testament, especially in the epistles, we have many of these blessings that are given to us. We find little deposits of these blessings in Paul's epistles. But right here is a gold mine of blessings that Christ gives to his people that are ours as a result of our union with Jesus Christ. So we're going to do a sampling today of of many of the blessings that are secured by this union that we have with Christ. Just on my own, I had gone through in my own thinking, and I came up with about 40 different blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. We're just going to be looking at the ones here in Ephesians, just for your comfort today. If you're looking at your notes, there's a long list there, and so... On your own, I would encourage you to read the list of the other epistles where we find some of these blessings. And I apologize for the size of the font. After I printed that, I thought, I can't even read that. But uh, um, I'm sure some of you struggle with that as well. But I hope that you will uh, take time to read through and think about some of these other blessings that we won't be seeing here in the book of Ephesians. But there is this fountain that has been opened up to us of great blessings and riches that are ours if we be in Christ and are in union with him. So we want to consider here Paul as he begins now in verse 4 to speak about some of these blessings. We have a sampling of these blessings. And uh, verse 4 begins, just as. All right, so he said, God has blessed us. The Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And here now, just as, here are examples of that. And the first that we want to look at is that we receive the status of holy and blameless, of being holy and blameless before God. 
Verse 4, just as he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Paul had spent a good bit of time at the city of Ephesus when he came there and planted a church and had taught them and taught them well. And now they're receiving this letter from him. He's in prison and they've received this. And I can imagine the first service as they've come together when the Lord's day is there, there, and as someone gets up and he reads this letter, here's the Apostle Paul writing to us. And the first thing he does is to speak about the blessings that are ours in Christ and probably reminding them of things he's already taught them. And maybe for some who have since been converted, maybe young in the faith, they're hearing these words coming from the Apostle Paul. And I can't help but think many of them as they sat there and hearing these words are left in wonder and awe the way he begins. Just as he, just as he chose us in Christ, in him before the foundation of the world. I can imagine just some plowboy sitting there who's a believer now, thinking about that. That before the world ever began, that he chose me in Christ. This, again, is an amazing, humbling truth. If we're a believer, if we're in Christ, we recognize that our salvation was not just some fortuitous event. That before the world ever began, that God had purposed and chose us in Christ. He loved us in Christ before the world ever began. That is one of the most humbling truths in all the word of God. Why am I a Christian today? It's because God purposed it. God planned this from before the world ever began. And there is a sense in which as believers we can say that we have been loved with an everlasting love. God didn't begin to love me when I became a follower of Christ. God loved me before the world ever began. And that is hard for us to understand and comprehend. And in many ways, it is a mystery. But for Paul, it is a cause for worship and blessing the triune God who has done this. That He chose us and he's revealed this to us. And I can't help but imagine that the believers, as they heard this, again, were overwhelmed to think about this. But notice he goes on and he says he chose us in him. And, and for what purpose? He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. To be without blame, to be holy. The idea of being holy is one that is set apart from that which is common. Set apart from that which is sinful and, and immoral. And to be set apart and to be holy. Set apart unto God. To be uh, blameless before him. And we note here, this is not what we were as fallen sons of Adam. We were not holy. Uh, we were not blameless. In fact, Paul, we've looked at it often in Romans 3, says there is none righteous, no, not one. 
There's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. But here God has set his love upon us and chose us, not because we were holy, but in order to make us to be holy and blameless before him. What an amazing, an amazing thing that God has purposed for us, that we would be set apart to him, to be his, to belong to him and to be holy, and to be holy in heart and to be blameless in our standing before him. Again, that's not what we are left to ourselves. In fact, King David said, Lord, if you should mark out my iniquities, I could never stand in your presence. I could never be accepted before you. But here, by union with Christ, this amazing thing takes place that we who were unholy, ungodly, who were the very enemies of God, that in Christ and by the grace of God, he has made us to be in our position before him to be holy and without blame. That's how he sees us in his son. We are accepted in the beloved one. We are graced by him. And by union with him, there's this wonderful exchange that has taken place. It's almost like we exchange grocery lists. What was on my grocery list? In Colossians uh, chapter 2, I think it is, it says that we had this long list of sins that were against us. And Christ took that grocery list of sins and he nailed it to the cross. And he died in our place. And he has given us his grocery list of blessings, one of which is that we stand holy and blameless in the sight of God in him. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This all, a free gift that comes to us from our God. And so here is this first great blessing that is given to us that we stand holy and blameless before him. As a result of the union that we have with Christ, this is our status. He sees us holy and blameless in the Son. And then also we know that it's not just our position, but God is making us to be this more and more. We have been raised up with Christ that we might walk in newness of life to live holy lives. So as Samuel read for us earlier in Colossians 3, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, and meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. And above all of this, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So God sees us in his son, accepted in him, holy and blameless. That's not what we are in our daily walk, is it? But he is at work to make us to be more and more holy. We call this progressive sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ day by day. This is another thing that we have by union with Christ. God has begun this work in us. He's united us to Christ. And as we look upon him, we're being changed into his likeness. We've been predestined to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Christ. That doesn't happen at glorification. It's finished then, but it begins at the time we are born again by the grace of God. Thanks be to God that we have, by union with Christ, 
a new status, a new life that has been given to us. And then secondly, we also see as a result of our union with Christ that we've been predestined to be a part of God's family. And so we read in verse 5, and I think the last phrase of verse 4 is probably best to go with verse 5. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Another thing that happens as a result of our being united with Christ, one of the blessings that we have, is to be a part of his family, to be adopted into the family of God. It would have been wonderful enough that God would save us and make us to stand accepted before him. And it'd be wonderful if he just made us to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. That would have been great. But he's done more than that. He's adopted us. He's received us into his family to be his children to have him as our father. In Galatians, Paul tells us that we have the spirit of God who is within us and enables us to to cry out, Abba, Father. He is my father. That's the way Jesus taught us to pray, wasn't it? Our father who art in heaven. And this idea of being the children of God, being adopted is a wonderful blessing because that's not what we were by birth. We were sons of Adam, fallen in sin. We were those who were the enemies of God. We were those who, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were those who were uh, dead in our sins and in our transgressions. And we were sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath. That's what we were. God adopted us. God accepted us. Rebels that we were because of union with Christ. As we think of the word of adoption here, it brings out this idea that we are given the status of sonship. All the rights, all the privileges of one who would be naturally born. Those are given to us as adopted children of God. All those blessings And we have a legal standing before him, and we are accepted before him as sons, and all the rights and the privileges that go with that. When my wife and I adopted our two children, they took on our name, and uh, they are our legal heirs, whatever might be left uh, of an inheritance, um, will be theirs. They are our legal heirs. Um, children, but they are ours. They are, they are, there's a relationship as well. And so there's this intimacy that is implied as well in this. As many as have received him, to, the, to them have been given the right to be called the children of God. And such we are. What an amazing thing that God has done for us, uniting us to Christ, who is in a real sense our elder brother, and adopting us to be his own. It's no wonder 
that John the Apostle, as he writes his first epistle, would say this, Behold what manner of love is this that has been manifested to us, that we should be called the sons of God. What an amazing thing. Behold the love of God. And again, Paul says this is something that was predetermined by God before the world ever began. He chose us in Christ. He predestined that we would be adopted, that we would be his children. And then thirdly, we also see that we receive redemption and forgiveness for all our sins. This has already been implied as we stand holy and blameless before him. And this is why we can. It's because that in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Verse 7, in him, here's the phrase again, by being joined to him, by being in him. What do we have? Another blessing. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us, which he has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Here is this word redemption that we've talked about in weeks past. Redemption is the payment of a price to bring about a release. Someone who is in slavery could be purchased. There was a price that was paid, and it brought about their freedom. The children of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt, and they were redeemed by the lamb that was slain and the blood that was put on their doors. So there was a payment that was made, and there is freedom that is gained. And here, this redemption that we have is a redemption that is not by gold or silver, Peter tells us, but it is with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. This is the payment that has been made, whereby we are redeemed and we are made free. He has loved us and he has washed us from our sins in his own blood. There was a debt, there was a bondage that we had as fallen sons of Adam that we could never release ourselves from. But God in grace and in union with Christ, he's redeemed us, he's purchased us by his own blood. Therefore, we have the remission of our sins. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And that's why Paul breaks forth again in praise and thanks be to God, because all of this, it's according not just just to his grace, but to the riches of his grace the riches of his grace that is poured out to us in Jesus Christ, grace upon grace. And here is one of those rich blessings of his grace. Fourthly, we receive the capacity to understand spiritual realities. As believers, there are many things that we know, that we understand that are a part of our worldview that we have because of Christ. Here he talks in these verses, in verses 8 through 10, 
that we have all wisdom and prudence as a result of union with Christ, having made known to us the mystery of his will, verse 9, according to his good pleasure which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Here is this plan, this mystery, things that were not known by former generations, but now have been made clear through the revelation of God, of what God is going to do in Christ. He's going to gather all things under heaven and earth, and he is going to bring about this new creation. There will be this this plan of God that will bring about a unity of all things under Christ. Paul speaks about that more in the book of Ephesians here, but here are all things being reunited in Christ. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth in which Christ will rule and reign forever. By the grace of God, these are things that we know and we understand. So as we watch the news at night, we take heart, we take encouragement. Though there may not be many things that encourage us as we look at the news, We have this big picture, don't we, of what God is going to do in Christ. Paradise that has been lost, it is going to be restored. All things will be reunited in Jesus Christ. Are you thankful today, if you're a believer, for the things that you know, the things that you understand? This is a gift that is given to us by Christ and in union with him. Paul tells the Corinthians that the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him, and neither can he receive them. He has no interest in them. But he says to the believers, we have the mind of Christ. We belong to Christ. All wisdom and knowledge is in him. And what a gift, what a blessing that we have, the knowledge that we have as a result of union with Christ. Again, I think the people in the pew, as they heard these things being read, were overcome with great joy, great appreciation for what this union of Christ has brought to them. We have the mind of Christ. Fifthly, we receive an eternal inheritance. Verse 11, in him, again, this is our union with Christ, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again, Paul takes us back to eternity past. This is something that God has purposed for those that he has called and chosen, that they're going to receive an inheritance. It will be theirs. This God to whom we belong is the one who is working all things after the counsel of his own will. But we are going to receive this inheritance that is ours in Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that we are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The union that we have with him is such that we are a joint heir with him. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that he is the heir of the world. He is the heir of all things, and we are a joint heir with him. Again, this is, this is hard for us to 
wrap our minds around that we are joint heir with Jesus Christ, who is the heir of all things. Sometimes we might think of people in this world, wouldn't it be great to be an heir of that person, to get that inheritance once that person passes? But if you're in Christ, you have the greatest inheritance that anyone could ever receive. And it's because of your union with Christ. Sixthly, we receive the sealing and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In verse uh, 12, it goes on and says that we who were the first to trust in Christ, that we should be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Believers do, or Christians do come to faith in Christ. But this is the work of God. This is his plan being enacted. But we have come to trust in Jesus Christ. We're not saved apart from faith in Christ. But after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed. This is God's mark upon his own. Just like a a cowboy or a rancher will brand his cattle with a specific brand, showing that it is mine, it belongs to me. God has given us his Holy Spirit who has sealed us and shown us that we are his and we are being sealed. We have been sealed until the day of redemption. This is God's property. No one's going to take it from him. It belongs to him. He is the owner. So there is this sealing and the, and the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We also receive, as we move over to chapter 2, familiar verses to us, but just quickly, we receive a resurrection to spiritual life. We were those who were dead in sin and in transgressions. We were those who were the enemies of God. There was hostility in our hearts. We were those who lived and conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh and the lust of our mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And then this wonderful verse, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, Notice this next phrase. He made us alive together with Christ. We were raised to new life and we were united to him in whom all of these blessings are given. So here's this resurrection that we have received. We were dead in sin, but we've been made alive and united to Christ. We also read then in verse 10. That we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. Here's that union again. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And again, Paul makes it very clear that this is all by grace, isn't it? For by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. It is a gift that is bestowed upon us in Christ. And so he speaks here of this great mercy and grace. And all of this 
to the glory of God, to the glory of his grace. We also receive, just quickly as we close this morning, we receive nearness and access to God. Paul goes on and talks about we who were Gentiles. We were aliens and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. And we were without God in the world, but in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, now in Christ Jesus, you once, you who were once far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have been brought near. We have been brought and we have access to God. Jesus himself said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. And by union with Christ, we have access to God. We have nearness to him. We who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And therefore, as Hebrews tells us, we can come boldly into his presence because of Christ. We have access. Paul goes on in chapter 4, verses 7 to 16, to speak about spiritual gifts that are ours in Christ. This Christ who has descended, who's come into this world and died, has now ascended above. And as he has ascended above, he gave gifts to men. Gifts so that we might serve and that we might serve his body. And these are gifts that are, again, won for us by our union with Christ. And then lastly, familiar passage, Ephesians 5. Paul talks about husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has loved the church and given himself for her. There is this union, again, that exists between Christ and his people. It's like a husband and a wife, a one-flesh relationship, the mystery of that. That mystery that Paul speaks about is a mystery about Christ and his people, that God in his grace has so united us to Christ. He is our bridegroom. He has loved us. He's given himself for us. He cares for us. Even as a husband cares for his wife, or he should, he's loving her. And as he loves her, he's loving his body himself. And so it is Christ who, to whom we are united, who is our bride. And so these are just some of the blessings that Paul brings out here in Ephesians concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and the union that we have with him. Again, I'll invite you to maybe this afternoon read through some of these other blessings that we find in the other New Testament epistles that speak about the wonderful blessings that come as a result of our union with Christ. I hope that we may be like the Ephesian believers as they receive that letter, that our hearts are overcome with gratitude as we think about the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ, that we would respond in appropriate ways if we have received such grace as this. Ought we not with our life, with our whole being, worship and serve this God who is so loved us. So Paul would say to the Romans, I beseech you by the mercies of God, these mercies that you received in Christ, I beseech you by these mercies that you present yourselves 
It's a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is really just, it's just our reasonable service, isn't it? That if he would do that for us, that we would serve him and love him with all of our heart, soul, and strength. If you're here today without Christ, we again point you to him. He who has the Son has life. But he who rejects the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. The invitation is given to you today to flee to this Savior, the Savior of sinners. And it's through the preaching of the gospel that God draws sinners to Christ. And might you flee flee to him today. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.